Well, we're continuing our series on healing and wholeness, and today's Bible reading is from Matthew. So let me just find this. Matthew 15, verses 21 to 31. Then Jesus went out from there and departed to the region of Tyre and Sidon. And behold, a woman of Canaan came from that region and cried out to him, saying, Have mercy on me, O Lord, son of David. My daughter is severely demon-possessed. But he answered her not a word. And his disciples came and urged him, saying, Send her away, for she cries out after us. But he answered and said, I was not sent except to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. Then she came and worshipped him, saying, Lord, help me. But he answered and said, It is not good to take the children's bread and throw it to the little dogs. And she said, Yes, Lord, even the little dogs eat the crumbs which fall from the master's table. Then Jesus answered and said to her, O woman, great is your faith. Let it be to you as you desire. And her daughter was healed from that very hour. Jesus departed from there, skirted the Sea of Galilee, went up on the mountain and sat there. Then great multitudes came to him, having with them the lame, blind, mute, maimed, and many others. And they laid them down at Jesus' feet, and he healed them. So the multitude marveled when they saw the mute speaking, the maimed main whole, the lame walking, and the blind seeing. And they glorified the God of Israel. Well, as I said, we're looking at healing and wholeness as our sermon series. And it's really important that we put those two words together, healing and wholeness. You know, healing is not just about a one-off miraculous event. It's a life journey that we go through. We all need inner healing in our journey. And wholeness is not just about a kind of a totality of being our identity, It also includes those specific experiences we encounter that make us whole. And I think this makes this subject area both challenging for us to understand in terms of our theology, but also difficult to navigate in terms of our living out day-to-day when it comes to uh, healing. And I, I love what Tim said last week, and thanks to him, wherever he's gone, for kicking off the series. But he said these words, Our experience cannot define our theology, but neither can it be divorced from it. A theology devoid of human experience is a pipe dream into disconnection. What a good line. You know, somehow we have to dovetail together our theology and our practice. And I think this is essentially loving the Lord our God with all our heart and mind and soul and strength. And of course, we all have many questions. And if you're anything like me, the most notable question is, why? Why was this person not healed? Why did God allow this disease to happen? Why did God heal this person of a headache, but didn't heal this person of a life-threatening illness? They're real and they're worthy questions for us to ask, and we need to ask them. But you know the problem comes when we get stuck in the deep mud of those questions and we're unable to move beyond their limitations 
And when that happens, we either pull away from God altogether, as many do, or we reduce our theology to fit our own experience and even get to the point where we deny that God even heals today, as many Christians do. And you see, neither are healthy places for us to be in, and neither of them is good for our soul. Yes, there are mysteries, and there are mysteries in which God invites us to kind of like come into those mysteries to seek revelation from him. But there are also testimonies that encourage us and promises that we have been given to hold on to. And this is what I want to explore today, faith and healing, the promise. But before I do, and it's been wonderful that you've had testimonies already, I'm asked Glenn to just come and share a part of her testimony of what happened when she cried out to God for help and healing. Um, yeah, um, thanks, Phil. Thanks for asking me to share my testament. I'm Glenn, for those who don't know me, but a majority of you do. And, um, and I thank God today for blessing me with the courage and the strength that I need to do this because I'm not usually um, one that puts myself forward. So, uh, yeah, I, I agreed. When Phil asked me yesterday morning... Would I share my testimony? I, I, I said yes, I, I would. And it starts off with me um, not being from a Christian family, you know, um, not really. My, my gran used to go to church, I went to church. Um, but I did believe in Jesus and I did believe in God, but I didn't know him at all. And... Um, you fast forward a few years and my life was taking off and, you know, I used to take my children to church and uh, Easter and Christmas and that was about it. And um, I used to get mocked for that by friends and I stopped going. So I walked away from God. I walked away from Jesus, but I know today that he never, ever left me, ever, because... Fast forward a few years, my children now are teenagers. I lived in a beautiful house. I have a beautiful family. I have beautiful friends. Um, two cars in the garage, you know, designer wardrobe, the whole lot. And I live in this house, and people from the outside thought I had it all. Even my family thought I had it all. But the woman that lived in that house was breaking and she didn't know she was breaking and she took comfort in alcohol to the point that actually this person <laughs> stands before you today ought to really be dead you know I really ought to be dead I used to consume anything up to three bottles of vodka a day and I'm not talking about little bottles I'm talking about liters plus whatever else I could get my hands on you know, and um, it got to the point that my husband couldn't stand it any longer. My kids couldn't stand it any longer. I was embarrassed. I was shamed. I was no self-esteem whatsoever. And, and I lived to drink. And there was this massive God-shaped hole in my soul. And I didn't know it. That was the thing. I didn't actually know it. <laughs> And I can laugh at that today, but it wasn't funny at the time, you know. And my husband said to me, if you want that vodka bottle more than you want me, and the kids were off. And I actually went into what was called blackout. 
in the alcoholic world. It's called a blackout. And, you know, and I thought he'd gone to the petrol station at St. Peter's, but he'd taken them off to Spain and he'd been gone for three days. And I was in this complete blackout in, in a drunken oblivion. And um, I remember, again, <laughs> because, you know, this, this carried, this was for about four years, so you can imagine what they had to endure in this. And when the vodka bottle becomes more important than your family, you know, you're in a dark place. You're in a really, really dark place. And all I could see was death. That was it. And I remember sitting on my floor in my bathroom and I was over the toilet yet again. I had the shakes, I um, was vomiting and I sort of came to and as I was heaving, I remember shouting out, God help me, I can't do this anymore. I hated the woman that was looking back at me in the mirror. I couldn't stand her. And some reason, I got to the telephone directory, because, you know, we do have telephone directories in those days. And um, the treatment centre that's here in Jersey, it sprung. It was like it just lit up, sprung off the page, and I dialed it. I was drunk. I wasn't coherent in what I was saying. All I said is, I need help. And I believe today, I didn't know it then, that God placed me in that treatment center to, to heal and to get well. And um, fast forward a few years, um, well, fast forward 12 months. I had 12 months of sobriety and I did it again. I took a drink again. Because did I have faith in my higher power, as they call it? No, I don't think I did. I didn't know God. And, and I did it again, and I cried out again, God, please help me, where are you? And he placed a person in my life. His name was Clarence, and I was in Barbados, and he placed this person in my life. And um, Clarence, I'll never forget him walking through my door because I rang him and said, I've done it again. And I can't really... Um, repeat what he said in a very, in the way that he said it, but I, I will say that he was, he wasn't exactly um, sweet in what he said. There were some swear words and he told me, how about, he said, do you accept you're an alcoholic? And I said, yes. And then he said, beep, 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 accept it. And it was that time that I knew that God had entered my life because I'd cried out to him. The desire to drink was lifted. I didn't want to drink again. And um, I haven't drank for 14 and a half years, an alcoholic drink. Um, I literally, um, I do go to another fellowship, which is, which is spiritual. It's not religious, it's spiritual. And I believe that God placed me in there to grow because everywhere I went, I was seeing there but for the grace of God, you know, live and let live. I was, I was seeing things that weren't, I do go to a fellowship, it's called Alcoholics Anonymous. And I, but there was this one phrase and it wasn't from Alcoholics Anonymous at all. It was actually in a church because that's where most, church, that's where most um, meetings are held. And it said, because I was questioning God, higher power as they call it, and it said, blossom where you are planted. And I knew 
that God had placed me in that room for a reason. On me from the outs, from the inside outwards, mm. and then lo and behold, <laughs> he took me on a different journey, where um, I came to Alpha through a member of this congregation that um, I thought she was stalking me. <laughs> And I honestly did, because no matter where she was, where I was, there was she. <laughs> the same question being asked time and time again. <laughs> Glenn, will you come to Alpha? No. Do you believe in Jesus? Yes. Well, will you come to Alpha? No. You know, and that was me, until eventually I got so fed up with her that I actually <laughs> said to her, okay, I'll come. Three days before I came to Alpha, I read um, a spiritual book. Remember, I'm on a spiritual journey now, but it's not through the church, it's with another fellowship. And um, I'm on this spiritual journey, and I read this, that spirituality was God-given and religion was man-made. And, and I like that. I thought, yeah, that is great. I, I really, really like that. And um, I came. I came that Tuesday night into the vicarage. <laughs> Didn't know Phil didn't know any of the people that were there and um, those words were spoken actually and he doesn't remember it but I do out of Phil's mouth and I sat and I looked and I said okay God you got me you got me now I need to get to know you mm. and through the journey I came as a member of the congregation of St. Matt's. And there's something that I do remember reading. Um, and my friend was Elsie. Well, she still is my friend. I can't say she was my friend. She still is my friend. <laughs> she gave me my first Bible because I wasn't really a reader of the Bible. And when I opened it, it said, it was Psalm 18, verse 2 and three, but it was verse three. I called the Lord who is worthy of praise and I have been saved from my enemy. Come on. That's wonderful. And um, let me just finish with this. That the other phrase that I mm. saw was Jeremiah 29, 11. Mm. I know the plans and purposes I have for your life to prosper you and not to harm you. And what I know today, what I didn't know then, that God was with me all the time. Yeah. He was there on my journey. I just didn't know it because I didn't know him. And he still continues to heal me today. And, you know, where I couldn't live... And this alcoholic, because that's what I am, I'm a recovering alcoholic, I'm no different, you know, than I was the day that I stepped into the rooms of AA, into the state that I stepped into here. What I do know today is that where I couldn't live without alcohol, today I can, but I can't live without God. Come on. <laughs> Thank you. That's wonderful. Wow, what a testimony. You know, Paul writes this in 2 Corinthians 1.20. For all the promises of God in him, Jesus, are yes, and in him, amen, to the glory of God through us. You know, I, when I think about the life of Paul, you know, he saw many incredible healings and miracles. 
He saw many signs and wonders. He also experienced many hardships and beatings and shipwrecks and imprisonments. But he reveals an eternal truth. God is faithful. And he is faithful to all his promises. They are yes and amen in Christ Jesus. I mean, let's just touch on a few of them. God promises that he will always be with us. Well, we've heard this from the testimony of Glenn. He will always be with us, even to the end of the age, Matthew 28, 20, which means there's never a time when we're abandoned or left on our own. Our loving Heavenly Father is always there with us through it all. God promises he'll work all things out for good, Romans 8, 28, which means there's never a time when we're forgotten or ignored that even in the midst of all of those hardships, Jesus comes and he releases his goodness. He promises us that he will strengthen us, Psalm 28, and he'll give us rest, Matthew 11, which means there's never a time in our weakness and our struggles when the Holy Spirit, when we invite him to come, doesn't draw near and give us that peace and strength. And along with over 7,000 other promises that we find in Scripture that come from God, God promises that he will heal us and make us whole. Isaiah 53, 7, Jeremiah 33, 6, 2 Chronicles 7, 14, Luke 19, 10, James 5, 14. If you'd just like to repeat those back after me, that would be great. <laughs> you know, which means there's never a moment in our lives when our prayers for healing are not heard and answered. All the promises of God in the Bible are yes and amen to the glory of God through us. I know you're thinking about what I've just said, and I'm going to respond to that in a moment. God is faithful. And if there is one truth that I want us to hold on to as we look at this series, is this. He is faithful in all things, including the area of healing and wholeness. He never lets go of us. He doesn't walk away from us from the tests and the trials that we face. No buts, no ifs. This is the truth. Is it his will that we're healed and made whole? Yes, it is. Acts 2.21. Whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Zozo, the word for saving, delivered, healed, saved, made whole. Does his promises always fit into our paradigm of healing and timing? No, it doesn't. You see, our natural human inclination is not to wait. Our natural human inclination is we want the answers now, and if we don't have the answers, then we have a whole host of questions. Why, why not? Our natural human inclination is even we get offended by what we might consider God's delay tactics to be. It's a hard one. But you know, when we consider to the Lord, one day is like a thousand years. 2 Peter 3.8. When we consider, as Isaiah reveals, his thoughts are not our thoughts, his ways are not our ways. When we consider Jesus' standing standard for healing his best friend Lazarus was to wait another two days not while he was sick, but actually in that time he died. It's not surprising that our earthly paradigm of healing 
clashes so often with heaven's paradigm that we see in the scriptures and we see in the life of Jesus. And so the challenge for us is like, how do we marry these two things together? God's will for us to be healed and made whole. And yet what we see in terms of timing, the timing for this to take place. Well, the answer is simple, but it's not simple to do. The answer is we trust. We have faith. We trust God is faithful. We cling on to him, even in the darkest and the hardest of times. We allow faith to be nurtured and grown, but it's a faith that is born out of worship and intimacy with the healer rather than a faith that is born out of entitlement and demand for the healing. Let me just say that again because there is a big difference. It's faith that is born out of worship and intimacy with the healer, the rather than out of entitlement that we see all around us in our culture and world today and demand for the healing. And this woman in Matthew 15 shows this in a remarkable way. And I just want to touch on this. And hopefully at the end of this, there will be keys for us in this whole process. The context, context for the passage is Jesus taking a break and heading off to the beach with his buddies. At the beginning of the chapter, he's clashed with scribes and Pharisees over traditions and rites. And then he takes some time out, walking 50 miles or so to the coast. That's quite a hike in the region of Tyre and Sidon. I mean, what are you like when you go on holiday or you take a break? Me? Us? I like to avoid people and crowds. <laughs> just want to be. Just want to chill out. Um, I certainly don't like it when people shout at me and shout at me to do, if you like, my job and uh, do all kinds of things. And in fact, what we see in this Canaanite woman is she doesn't just shout at Jesus. She makes this kind of raucous noise as she cries out at Jesus. In fact, she does what we all so often do when we want a healing or a miracle. We shout at God. Have mercy on me, O Lord, son of David. My daughter is severely demon-possessed. I mean, let's think about it. When we are praying for someone or someone else or even ourselves, we kind of say, God, have mercy on us. Could do something about us. This is the situation. We need a healing. We need a miracle. And we need it now. And to give this lady her credit, she doesn't give up as she intercedes on behalf of her daughter. And when Jesus doesn't reply to her, it's like his reticence draws out even more of this faith-filled response, this energy. In fact, the Greek word in verse 23, kraso, implies that she's shouting louder and louder and more persistent to the irritation of the disciples who are just enjoying the sun and making their sandcastles uh, or whatever they're doing on the beach. They just want her to go and they tell Jesus, send her away. And then in verse 24... Jesus makes this kind of unusual general comment about his mission to the Jewish people. He's come to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. Which probably in the disciples' minds didn't really help the situation. But then it all changes in verse 25. When we read these words, 
Then the woman came and worshipped Jesus, saying, Lord, help me. This is one of those pause moments in the Bible. And I encourage you over this week, press a pause button at some point as you read this passage again. The woman came and worshipped him, saying, Lord, help me. You see, this move to worship moved the heart of the one we worship. You see, crying out to God draws attention. Yes, he hears us. But bowing down in worship draws his affection. He draws near to us. Proscunio, the Greek word for worship, it's, it's falling in reverence. It's bowing down in worship. It's just adoring the one before. And you see, this kind of worship always draws us into the presence of the Lord. And where his presence is, his healing power flows. And you see, in this moment, what was the healing this woman is asking for? You know, she falls before Jesus in worship. Her words to Jesus were not, Jesus, heal my daughter. They were not, Jesus, would you deliver her from this destructive demon possession that is wrecking her lives and our lives and calling us, causing our family pain and shame as it would have done? She actually says something that is so full of faith and godly wisdom. She, she simply says, Lord, help me. It's like she's saying to Jesus, Lord, help me to trust you. Lord, help me from my unbelief. Lord, help me to be strong. Lord, you are my help and my strength. And I think there is something in this faith position that Jesus is looking for in us. I mean, it seems to me to be the starting place for all and every prayer for healing and wholeness. Lord, I worship you. Help me. Lord, I love you. I need your help. And then what follows is this cryptic discussion about bread, children, and crumbs falling off the table. That actually reveals the heart of this woman and her humility before Jesus. And then Jesus does something only he does on one other occasion with a centurion. He commends her faith. He says, oh woman, great is your faith. It's like mega is your faith. It's enormous. Great is your faith. Let it be to you as you desire. And actually Jesus is fulfilling another of those 7,000 promises of God. You see, when we delight ourselves in the Lord, he gives us the desires of our heart. Psalm 37, verse 4. When we delight ourselves in the Lord, he gives us the desires of our heart. Actually, that word delight, it can also be translated soften. When our heart softens to the Lord in worship, he gives us the desires of our heart. And what we see is this woman's heart softening as she worships Jesus. You see, before she was shouting, 
So I know you're the saviour. I know you're the one who heals. I'm entitled to healing. You know, you heal my daughter and you do it now. But then her heart softens as she worships Jesus. And she bows before him. And she says, Lord, help me. And then she lets him do the rest. In his timing and in his way. I don't know whether you, you do this, but I, I often kind of like, you know, wonder when there are clips and then you know there's another bit. Um, what went through this woman's mind as she journeyed home? I mean, they weren't mobile phones. Hey, I'm healed. You know, the daughter ringing the mum straight away. Yeah, it's happened. You know, none of that. She had to travel. She had to make that journey home. I wonder what was going through her mind. But I reckon one thing for sure. Her heart was filled with love. And she was surrounded with peace. This is a tough subject. This is a tough one. But God is faithful. We have to believe this with all our hearts. In and through it all, he is faithful, including this area of healing and wholeness. And I know and you know that there are many potential pitfalls in theology and practice, and it's so easy to fall into them. But I want to encourage each one of us, even when we cannot see through the fog of the mystery, even when we feel that our feet are stuck in the mud of the questioning, We come to Jesus in worship. And especially at those times of fog and mud, we come to Jesus in worship. Not for what we get out of it, but but simply who he is. He is Lord, he is Savior. And then from that place of worship, we just say to him, Lord, help me. You see, in that place of worship, he draws us near. In that place of abiding with him, his presence is here for us. And I believe that in these moments, he looks at us and he gently speaks to us the promises that he has for us. Promises like Matthew 19, with men this is impossible, but with God all things are possible. These are the promises of God that are yes and amen. These are the promises of God that he has for us, his children, as we look to him. But the starting point is worship. The ending point is worship. And everything in between is worshiping Jesus. And then in that place of vulnerability and pain, our simple prayer is, Lord, would you help me? I want us to respond to this together. Um, I kind of sense, because I know for myself, you know, there have been times when those questions have just like hammered at the door of faith and it's so painful and you feel like you're clinging on with just your fingertips but I want to lead us into a time of prayer and even invite some of you, all of you that if you want prayer for healing to pray for you but actually more than that if you want prayer for peace 
to know his peace. You know, we've probably all got struggles that we're facing at the moment. And Jesus, in the seeming silence, is not ignoring us. I think he's waiting for us to draw near and to know his affection. Let's pray. Should we stand together? I don't know which bit of that is resonating with your heart at the moment, but God does. I know he's in this room. I know his presence is with us. He's longing us to place, if you like, our hands in his hands. And to know that he is faithful. Maybe just in your heart and mind, start to thank him for his faithfulness. And I guess for all of us, there needs to be that confession where, God, we ask for your forgiveness for those times when we've doubted, when unbelief has taken over and we've questioned your promises. So, Father God, we just together collectively, we ask for your forgiveness. I ask for your forgiveness. I'm so sorry for those times when I've doubted your faithfulness. Father, I'm so sorry when I've looked in Scripture and said, look, you say this, but you've done this, or you've not done this. And where unbelief has clouded the vision of who you are, the one who is our Savior, our healer, our deliverer. And I just like see us right now, it's like we're standing on this rock, and this rock is Jesus. He is solid, he is secure, he is steadfast, he is forever faithful. And just see yourself standing with him on the rock, holding you, loving you, looking at you, speaking to you, embracing you. Thank you, Jesus, for your faithfulness. We worship you. We honor you. We bow down before you. And Father, our prayer is, Lord, help me.